Hello and welcome. You're listening to season one of Adam Was Mad, a podcast where we discuss all things childhood mental health. I'm your host, Michelle, and each week I speak with a guest who either experienced mental health struggles as a child themselves, is parenting a child who has a mental health diagnosis, or who's a professional in this field. A quick cautionary note, many of our episodes talk about trauma of various kinds. So listener discretion is advised. Every story is important and valued, and every story reminds us we're not alone out there. You have a village of people who understand exactly what you're going through and who can help. If you're looking to connect more closely with that village, join us on Facebook in the group Your Village by following the link at the top of today's show notes. When you join, enter your email to receive our free monthly resource. Hopefully you'll learn something new, hear something interesting, or truly just be reminded that you're not alone. Without any further ado, let's get to today's episode. Hi, everyone. Today I have with me Felicity Nicole, and we are going to be talking about her experiences as the parent of a neurodiverse child. Welcome. Welcome, Felicity. Thank you so much for being with us today. I appreciate it, Michelle. How are you? I'm good, thanks. So will you tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself and about your journey here? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm a writer. I'm an author. I'm a speaker. I'm a brand owner of um, She Is You, Midlife Community for Women that are going through healing and transformation. We do it in a community atmosphere. We do it as a sisterhood together. And I do that all while being a mother and a wife and a pet owner. But most importantly, I am a mother of a 15 year old that has oppositional defiance disorder, anxiety, depression. So it's been a long, it's been a long, long road. Yeah. So very busy, (laughs) very, very busy. It sounds like I myself am the parent of of three. I have three children. My oldest is six. And then my younger two are four and one. And my oldest child has a diagnosis that's very similar to ODD. It's called DMDD. And it's characterized by frequent triggered rages. Sometimes we describe it as an emotional seizure, and it's caused by the child having an overactive amygdala in their brain, which essentially means the child is in fight or flight mode constantly. And so there's always, you always have to be sort of on guard for triggers um, and the triggers aren't always the same. So something that's triggering yesterday may not be triggering today and vice versa. And I know that, you know, I take on that feeling of stress and anxiety that I know he's feeling because I'm watching for him. And as his mother, I'm, I'm feeling that stress of trying to not cause any harm to him. And so I feel like my role as a parent, I often feel like I'm walking on eggshells, just as I know he is so often feeling like he's walking on eggshells. Is that similar to your experience with ODD? Yes, you know, it was, and you shouldn't, and, and your home shouldn't feel that you guys shouldn't feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some of the most important things that I learned was understanding what my son's triggers are. Now he's 15. So he's able to communicate now with me. Whereas a few years ago, this wasn't fully developed. Evan would um, have those emotional meltdowns and people 
this is a temper tantrum times 10. And it's so emotionally draining on the, on the child, as well as the family and the mm-hmm. pets included, and they can become dangerous as well too. Yes. So you, I, I, Michelle's got her hands full because you have to make sure number one, that your two other children are in a safe spot. But exactly. What's interesting is, has he been able to identify what his triggers are? Have you asked him? It's sometimes he can, and sometimes he can't. He's still so young and often afterwards, because they can last very long periods of time. The episodes can be very, very prolonged. And by the end, he'll say things to me. You know, if I ask, do you, do you remember why you're mad? He'll go, no, mommy, I don't know. I don't know why I'm mad. And it's so heartbreaking because you see that he's so remorseful. He's so regretful. He's so hurt when he comes out of these episodes, because he didn't want to spend his day like this. He didn't want to spend his day crying on the floor or feeling angry or upset or destroying things because to your point, it can get very violent. Um, And a lot, and he can't control it. And a lot of times he, sometimes he does know what set him off, but a lot of times he doesn't. And I don't know, honestly, I don't know if that's his age and that will, mature with time, or if that's a symptom of DMDD, you know, with him being so young, I'm, I'm not sure I can pinpoint that yet. What has your experience been? I know I want to, I'm just, we're just going to dive in. Cause I've got questions. Yeah. Okay. So we're just going to do this. Do, um, my experience was exactly like that. It was just massive meltdowns. Now he wouldn't have them at school. So yeah. thank Lord, but he would shut down. So he will go stone cold face to the point to where students were concerned. And Mm. so we have social workers and things that were helping him before I sent him off to residential treatment facility to like, you know, try to understand, Evan, you don't understand how you're impacting your, your, your peers. Um, But we have safety plans put in place at home prior to him leaving to his residential residential treatment facility a couple of years ago, and then coming home safety plans are based on like his elevation. You can, and as a mom, we're intuitive. You can pick up on it immediately. So mm-hmm. use your intuition. And if you feel like, Oh boy, this little one's waking up agitated. Um, what can you do to keep, to, to, to keep the vibe going? Just, you know, I almost feel like he needs, he needs a quiet room. Does that make any sense? Yeah, we have that. We have yeah, so perfect. lovely that you say that because we yeah. have that. Yeah, we call it his his calm corner. Yeah. And we actually constructed in one of our bedrooms, we actually constructed out of plywood, this mm-hmm. sort of, he calls it his clubhouse and it's his quiet corner is in his clubhouse. And it's sort of just a box <laughs> that yeah. he, you know, he can stand up in it. I mean, it's not like we're putting the child in a cage. Don't get me wrong, no, I but he has it. this little clubhouse and he can crawl in there and he's got a light and he's got some pillows and he's got some books and there's some really calming string, string lights. So if he doesn't want to turn the lamp on, he has the little string lights. That's very, you know, calming ambiance. And he also has a pinwheel. And that was one, um, you know, those little pinwheels that they spin in circles when you blow mm-hmm. on them. That was uh, one of the tips that his occupational therapist gave me when he first, first started going to therapy long before we had an official diagnosis where we didn't understand really what was happening yet. We just 
saw these really uncontrollable rages and she gave us this pinwheel and she said, the reason this is helpful is because it helps regulate their breathing. Because when you tell them to blow on the pinwheel, what do they do? They inhale. Yeah. And then they exhale to blow the pinwheel and it can actually help small, small children regulate their breath in a way that they can't necessarily do consciously. You know, you can't tell a a four-year-old or a three-year-old, you know, take deep breaths, (laughs) but the pinwheel helps him do that. And so in his calm corner, we have a pinwheel. We also have a little feelings chart so that, um, and we use a color wheel with it. So, you know, if he's on green, he's happy. And if he's on blue, he's sad. And if he's on red, which usually if he's going into his calming corner, he's on red, Uh, he'll spin it to red and he'll stomp his feet and he'll go, I'm on red. (laughs) I laugh because, you know, but his whole little body just sort of seizes up. I'm on red. And then he'll crawl into his little calming corner. He still sucks his thumb. That's one thing that, you know, Dentists and stuff have told us, oh, he shouldn't be sucking his thumb. But me as the mom of a child with this diagnosis, God knows I'm not taking away that comfort thing from him. He can yeah, stick his thumb in his mouth and he, it does help soothing. calm him. It it's a soothing. soothing. Yeah. And so at six, he still sucks his thumb and I have zero plans to try to uh, remove that from him because I want him to have all the tools in his toolbox that he possibly can to help regulate his emotions. So is he a texture? Is he a texture boy? Does he like, does he, so you've got the pinwheel. Does he like, um, there are so many, I, I, I wish I should have brought it in. Um, I'm a texture person. Um, squeezy balls, just anything to just kind of play with. They keep telling That's me a good idea. He, they keep telling me that he needs a writing pad in there too, to get all his emotions out. Why are you, and give him, and then I wanted to show you something. So I, I have complex PTSD just from my life. And this is called Maksha and Instagram. And what this is, is a whistle because I suffer from a dysregulated nervous system is you go in through the nose, you can wear it as a necklace, and then you just blow out. So if he would be safe to have something similar that he could to kind of help regulate, regulate there's help so that many, breath. yeah, there's so many tools out there that have those. There's a calm one too, that I had, um, where it would, you would blow into it until all the lights hit. Yes. Oh, I love that. I haven't seen, and I think there are parents out there, probably out there listening right now who don't even know that these tools exist. And this is exactly the kind of information we need to bring to the community because there are so many things on the market today that can help creating a calming corner, having a pinwheel, having a whistle like this, having a journal, having a fidget spinner, having those squeeze balls. But I don't think that as a parent, you know, when you're in crisis, right? When you're in crisis with a child, you don't necessarily have the tools, as they say on social media, you don't have the spoons to go out and find those tools for yourself. And so I'm so glad that we're talking about this because I think there are things out there that really could help and people just don't know that they exist. And I want to 
circle back on that. And it's the tools as parenting as well too. And that's where your safety plans. So if you as a family can think ahead on what's going to happen when um, I'm just like little Danny has an outburst, we see that we're starting to escalate. There should be an action plan to begin to de-escalate, to begin to remove children, to begin to remove animals. This is how serious it can be. I belong to a ton of groups on, on Facebook specifically for this, just because we've all struggled with it. And, um, some of the tools that we have would be, um, a lot of these little ones lack the control. So for my son, it was giving him options by printing out a menu for the week. Here's your three breakfasts. Pick it. It pulls me out of the, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Here's your lunch options. There's three or four, four, pick just because for him, ODD, it's a sense of control. And um, that helps me kind of navigate, follow the rules, buddy. You know, you know, what time's curfew again? Look at the sheet. Look at the sheet. I love that. It pulls us out of that potential flare up because we get engaged. Yes. We get engaged into arguments and spiral into things we don't, we don't necessarily have to. Um, and I want to, I want to, I, I want to take this a little further because I think, and I'm, I'm going to guess that you've probably experienced this yourself, but I know that with my son, it's often directed at me because I'm a safe person and I'm a safe place. And so, and of course he's six, so, you know, he's still young enough and small enough that I can, I can wrap him in a hug and move him to a safe place if I need to. I know with an older child, you know, having those safety plans, I mean, it's still important to have them when you're young, but I imagine it's even more helpful because they're, when they're older, you can't pick them up and carry them to a safe place necessarily. But that anger, it's directed as me at me. And so I get a lot of, I hate you. I, I don't love you anymore. You don't love me anymore, which is one of the most emotionally cutting things I think a child can ever say to you. They say, I hate you. It's like, well, every kid hates their parents when they're young. It's fine. You know, you can hate me as you're six. It's okay. I know, you know, I'm not going to give you a third bowl of ice cream. And if you hate me for that, you know, I can deal with that. But when he says things like you don't love me, you hate me, you know, I don't want to be a part of this family anymore. That is just devastating as a parent. And I know I often have to remind myself that I'm getting that because I'm the safe place. I'm his safe space, but it doesn't make it any less painful to hear. And it doesn't make it any less difficult as a mother to know your child is struggling, you know, and to hear you don't love me or things like that. Have you, have you experienced that kind of, Oh, the, the, the mother wound is, 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 is deep. It's, it it hurts. It really does. And I'm sorry that you have to experience that. And, you know, um, off camera, we talked about this, but then let's, let's talk about that. Where is that coming from? Where is that place coming from? And so I'm a spirit. I'm, you know, I've got my, my business world, but I'm also, you know, Reiki practitioner, spiritual healer, going to school to become a shaman. Where is the depths of that root coming from? You two, I'm just going to throw it out there. 
may have had a life together in a previous life. And there is some karmic energy going on there. Yeah. I, yeah, I just, I'm just going to say it just because my son is the exact same. (laughs) It's just laying a firm for me. It's laying a firm boundary of you will not disrespect me nor abuse me because in my book, it's with the utmost compassion and we uh, we're not trying to villainize him, but he is very emotionally abusive to me mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I won't tolerate it. Yeah. 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 Well, and you not tolerating it also teaches him that it's not okay to do that to other people. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think as mothers, we are often the first target, <laughs> but if you don't set that boundary that this is not okay, then that individual grows on to abuse others. And I think, you know, our role as parents is to raise kind, capable human beings. And it is so unbelievably difficult when you are raising a child who from birth (laughs) has a really devastating, difficult, emotional world. And, you know, I want to talk about birth too, because my, my son had an extremely difficult birth. I had an extremely difficult birth with him. And afterwards I got very, very sick. I almost died. It was very scary. And he had been discharged from the hospital and I was still in the hospital. And so we were separated. He had actually gone home and I was in the hospital being told you might die. And Mm -hmm. I had a very traumatic sort of first week of his life, week plus of his life, where I was sobbing, teaching my husband, you know, this is how you change a diaper. This is how you feed a bottle. You need to know how to do this because if I die, you have to do this alone. And I've always thought about it in relation to my own trauma and how hard that was for me. But he was also a newborn baby separated from his mother immediately after birth Mm -hmm. and his father, because his Mm -hmm. dad was in the hospital with me. And so he was separated from both parents at birth for, you know, a a, not, you know, he wasn't, you know, in a NICU for a year or anything. You know, I don't want to discredit uh, people who have separations for much longer than we had, but it was a traumatic experience to be a part Um, from, you know, a newborn from his mother for so long, so young. And I wonder not to blame myself for the situation, but I do wonder if some of his anxiety, some of his fear, some of the fact that I am the person he clings to is because of that really traumatic entry in the world, into the world that he had, that we both experienced and went through. I completely agree with you. I say shame on the hospital, number one. I think, yeah, I think (laughs) I honestly, I think they could have kept him. I mean, I stayed a week in the hospital and, and he stayed with me. Yeah. yeah. I was in a, afterwards. I was in a week. Um, cause I, similar to you had, I wasn't, I just it was a very painful, difficult birth. So, um, I was, but at least able to connect with him during that time where they just, so shame for number one, I'm just shame in the hospital. Nobody had common sense to at least think about that. Um, but I think also too, we have to hold compassion and and not shame and get angry when these little ones are doing this. And mm-hmm. in the past, I've been completely transparent where I have lost my, my crap when it, cause it, it'll go day after day, after day, after day, after day, after day. Sometimes it's hour after hour, after hour, after hour. And I don't know if your little one is on medications, but we had tried 
we were on everything before mm-hmm. I had to finally make the decision. And, and we were also doing all the outlets too, therapy and uh, activities before I had to make the decision to send him off to a residential treatment facility to seek the proper help and care. Um, cause I, how, took, how did you come to that decision? Cause I imagine that must've been just oh, girlfriend gut wrenching oh. to, to oh. have to make that choice. I mean, do you mind talking about yes, it? Yes. And get your Kleenex because, oh my God. So, you know, Evan started about 10 to have his, I, I started the shift is, is at 10. He will admit is at 10 and 10 is where we had a shift within our life. I had been divorced prior to, and some, you know, stuff like that. So, um, it was during COVID and he shut down during COVID and we did, I exhausted everything here. We even did an outpatient program through one of the hospitals where he would just sit like this in a computer. And I actually had to hire help at that point. I had a social mm-hmm. worker that I hired to pull me out of this so I could just love my son. And she right. was having to take care of damage control. Um, but at the age of 13, I was having to pull him into the bathtub because I mean, he stopped giving himself, you know, showering and I'm like dragging him into the bathtub. So I knew that I had to do something. So I, as a mom, we immediately start researching. You get on the phone mm-hmm. insurance company. I researched everything and everywhere. So people, I seriously like find me if you, I researched everything. So where he went to, I would send him back in a heartbeat. I, their family to me. Um, and there are certain places that will take kids, but there are certain places that will not take kids that are aggressive like that. And so I had to go to court and win full custody of all medical and religious and school exemption for me to make the decision because my ex-husband just didn't want me to do this. Um, but I found a place in Utah and their family to me and I love them all. And it's uh, Southern Utah, St. George, Utah, in fact, and my son, and actually we're going back in April because he's going to teach a seminar to students that are there. So he goes wow, back. Wow. That's amazing. Can we put their information in the show notes? Uh, absolutely. It is Eagle Ranch Academy in St. George, Utah. And they saved, they saved my son's life. They saved wow. our life. But um, in order to do that, I had to have him legally kidnapped on April 9th, the day after Easter, it was, it was horrible. It was absolutely horrible because I couldn't, I knew if I told him my family and his dad would have gotten involved and then it just would have been, it would just fall into pieces. Yeah. So I had to find a reputable company. They were wonderful. They showed up at four 30 in the morning. I had a bag packed, a letter in there. And all I had to do was walk up and wake him up. And I just said, you know, buddy, I love you. And, you know, Megan and Kyle are here and they're going to take you somewhere safe. And oh my gosh. I, I know. And then from that point, you, I just had to walk away and he's just, mom, he just, he's screaming. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And he's just screaming. And he walked out like a man, like a gentleman. Oh, oh it, I'm, I know. I cry. It, oh my gosh. You know, 
it rips your heart out because as a parent, you don't want to have to go to that extent. Yeah. And there's a lot of judgment and shame that are put on us as mothers for doing stuff like this, but you have no idea the battle that we have to go to mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically to have to come to a point like that, to have your child healed. It was hard. It was hard, but I mean, the amount of growth that he's done and it's not easy now. I mean, he's 15, he's all sports and he's in the gym. So, you know, I'm blessed that he's much better, but, um, now I get to deal with teenage stuff, which is, (laughs) which, which must feel like a relief in some ways that you're just dealing with teenage stuff. Now, what happened at the treatment? I mean, what goes on there? What is, is it intense therapy? Is it? it It is. is it, that's what it is. It is. So for the first, for the first six weeks, there was no contact. I, I received, oh my God. I received weekly phone calls from the team on his progress and what he's doing. And they work on a value-based system where other places work on a monetary system, other places like wilderness camps, uh, hard work, this and that, you know, Paris Hilton, which I looked into the one that she went to, you know, you're going to hear the horror stories about these and you do have to pray to God yeah. that nothing happens because you, your child could be sexually assaulted, Yeah, could, could potentially fatally hurt themselves. They're around, you know, he was one of the, he was one of the younger ones. So the, the, the older girls took him in as, as a child and the, the, the camp counselors had to tell him, okay, he's, you know, he's a student. And the older boys took him in as a mentor. And um, the first the first value was forgiveness. So until Evan was able to get to that point, we were able to have a Zoom meeting. But I got to tell you, you know, once we get up to these values, he gets we get to go visit him and do things like that. But they offer these parent seminars that are similar that are exactly what the, the children walk through. And the children walk through twenty hours of therapy a week. And they do service hours. And my husband and I decided to sign up. Let's sign up back to back for parent seminar number one. And so we're in there and it's like a two or three day seminar. And I haven't seen my son in now, like, I don't know, like nine to 10 weeks. And so we're unpacking exactly what the kids are unpacking. So I'm unpacking my trauma going, holy cow, I really grew up like, like, whoa, like, I mean, this is heavy. You know, yeah. and we'd get back to the hotel room and my husband's like, okay, let's go out to dinner. And I'm like, I don't know. Can I eat right I, now? <laughs> I'm like, no, I need to go find a hospital. I need some Xanax. Yeah, right. Like, just realizing how screwed up my family is. Yeah. And at the end of the last seminar, they had us standing in a circle and they're playing Lauren Daigle. I think it's like you say, like you're not, and, and our eyes are closed and we're holding hands. And, you know, they're talking and they say, okay, now open your eyes. And when you open your eyes, he was just standing right there. Oh, oh my God. His eyes just peering oh. at me. And he just looked so happy. Oh, and that's all you want as a mother, right? That's all. Yeah. Oh, you got me crying. That's all you want is to see your child happy and yeah. to know that 
you've unpacked those things. He's unpacked those things. You guys have had this healing. You haven't seen him in so long. And there yeah. he is. And he's happy. It, he's happy. it validates that all that pain that you went through in leading up to sending him there and making that decision, you were doing the right thing. You were fighting for him. Yeah. And like you said, they saved his life. And in a lot of ways, it sounds like they probably saved yours too. Absolutely. It's, it's a family. It's, they saved the family and, um, you know, it's expensive insurance covers a little bit of it. So I've always made a promise to myself and God that once I make it big, I will start a scholarship foundation for parents. Oh, I love that because I truly do believe in the work that they do. And, um, yeah, it's, and he stayed a full year. Little boy stayed a full year there. He was, wow. really, yeah. And came now, home and transitioned. That's amazing. And so you got to visit him then after, you know, that first initial period, you guys were able to see each other and spend time together. Yeah. Yeah. And little bits and pieces. And then eventually he was able to work his way to have off-campus visits for a couple hours. And then right around Christmas, he was able to have a three night stay. So I rented a house and I Amazoned like little Christmas, like a pencil tree, and, you know, cause it was like right around Christmas time. And I said to, to Daryl, the therapist, I'm just going to Amazon you Christmas decorations, keep them in the boxes. When I come into town, I'm just going to snag them before I grab Evan. And then, so when we got to the house, it was Christmas. Oh, I know it was our Christmas. And so, and he was, you know, kind of a basketball or a football or whatever, and just some socks and some little things, but you know, you do what you can. It was hard, but you know, it's not an easy road with parenting like this. And I think it's interesting if we could get to the core of, of the why with our children like this. Well, and to your point, I want to go back to what you said earlier about, you know, when you were in that three-day program, you started unpacking your own family trauma and your own generational trauma. Can you tell me a little bit about that? I mean, how does that how does that intergenerational trauma impact our children? Yeah. Yeah. So we, um, I was raised in a very narcissistic family. Um, at the mm. age of 10, I saw my dad try to kill my mom. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. And then my mom just checked out mentally and emotionally. She wasn't a bad mother. I don't shame her whatsoever because she did the best job she can given her circumstances but we were groomed into these roles and these roles are then handed down. And so you have to imagine when we are in womb, go generations back, it's, it's imprinted in our DNA. And I just actually was just reading an article last night that um, it's imprinted like 14 generations. You're in wow. your Yes. So what Michelle and I were talking about earlier is it's called epigenetics. And basically it's the science behind the cell and the DNA and trauma. And it's for, so think about depression era and scarcity and starvation and money problems. And then it kind of continues on and continues on. So if there's repeating patterns in people's lives, that's the work that I do. Let's start digging out some of those roots. And so when I went through the ranch, I realized that, and that's when I started working with 
shamans and things like that. Cause I knew that this was much more deeper than. Right. Right. You yeah. had to unpack your yeah. own trauma from your uh-huh. own childhood, but also you had to unpack the trauma that you were genuinely born with that, like you said, was imprinted upon your DNA that you needed yeah. to in, investigate. And so tell me a little bit about that. You said you're in school to become a shaman. Yes. So it's a, yes. So I, I am studying that. I also, I'm working on a theology degree and an understudy in women's, women's history too, because I just have all the time in the world. Fascinating. Got, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Because of course, being a mother, I'm, being a business right? owner, being. Yeah. But um, <laughs> plenty of I, time. But I am as spiritually gifted. I am able to tap into past life. And so I was able to path to tap into past life stuff for myself. And so I knew that I have always had um, traumatic past lives um, mm. used, you know, things like that. And um, it doesn't surprise me that this pregnancy with my son was so painful because I was dealing with abandonment from my mother. She had turned my back on me. Um, I was married to an alcoholic that was bipolar. Um, it was a very stressful, very intense pregnancy. I had it was preeclamptic. It doesn't surprise me that all of that's been imprinted. And so that's what epigenetics is about is the imprinting of the, of the cell of the DNA and the trauma, but you can break those cycles. And so I broke the cycle with my son by sending him away because my family was actually wanting to take him from me, stating that I was incapable of raising him. Oh my so, God. That's like a worst oh yeah. nightmare. Yeah. So now I'm at the point of just, we just do no contact. Yeah. I, yeah. I made forgiveness and things like that, but that is breaking that generational trauma right there. Right. Put that boundary down stating, we're not going to repeat this pattern. My son is not going to become a carbon copy of me because right. I, I, I had ODD growing up, you know, I would say really? we, we scream. We, 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 we have emotional outbursts because we need to be heard and nobody right. was hearing me and the same with him, you know, we can't put it out. I'm feeling like this mom. So I'm just going to have this meltdown. So that's why I thought mm-hmm. of a journal for him, because when Evan started to journal, I, w- I was able to put the puzzle pieces together to his anger and it was all circulating back to his birthday. Really? Really? Yeah. Wow. And he was able to, you were able to elicit that kind of information from him. He was able to verbalize that or did he, I mean, was it something that you were able to intuit by reading what he wrote or that he shared with you? So he, so during a meltdown, I would throw, I would throw a legal pad his way in a pen. And then I had one. And then the therapist that I was working with said, you have to just be patient and listen. And Mm -hmm. so I just sat there and I just wrote, wrote, and then you're going to, as, as a listener, oh, okay, the anger, frustration, dad. I mean, he, yeah, exactly. Why is wow. he doing, yeah, you're just going to put the puzzle piece. And he just had one. He had one. He's 15. He had one. What month are we in? March? Yeah. Beginning of March. Yep. Probably in January. And okay. I want to forget it we were having a rough cycle and I'm like, what the hell is going on here? And so it was just him and I, my husband was out of town on business and we just got back from a travel baseball meeting. 
And we saw all his buddies there and their friends. And he starts to attack me, just like you said, we're the punching bag. And mm-hmm. he starts to emotionally melt down. And I'm like, oh shit, we're going through this shit again. I'm like, oh, yeah, here it goes. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God, no. And then at the core, this baby, this 15 year old goes, I just want a dad. Oh. I just want a dad to show up for me. And I was just like, oh. Oh God. Oh my God. So bring it on in, buddy. Let me hug you. I promise, yeah. I promise you, you're gonna have a hundred million men show up for you when I'm done. Yeah. 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 Oh God, that's heartbreaking. But it's amazing that he was able to verbalize that in that moment that he and I think you know, that treatment facility probably helped him know how to do that and know how to dig deep, even in those moments where he is feeling so out of control and verbalize that to you that I just want a dad. I just want a dad to show up for me. God, that's, it's so hard. And one of the things you said that really jumped out at me is that you just have to be patient and listen. And, you know, I know that's a really big, that's a really big part of what I do. It's, it's the only thing I do. Besides moving him to a safe place, when Jibber starts to have these meltdowns and have these moments, I just sit, you know, and I think that's why I think that's why other people might struggle my you know, other people in my own life, my own mom, my husband, you know, they try to they try to solve it and they try to, you know, you know what you want this you want, you know, you don't want the red shirt, you want the blue shirt, you want the green shirt, do you want the yellow? It's not about the shirt, guys. It's not Mm -hmm. about the shirt. And so I just sit with him. And I'll sometimes, you know, we'll sit face to face, you know, sort of sit on the ground, like knees to knees. And I'll put my hands out. I won't say anything. I'll just put both my hands out on my lap, you know, palm up and he'll just reach over and hold my hands and he'll be screaming, screaming, but he'll be holding my hands. And I just sit there and I just let him scream and I just listen and I just wait for him. And sometimes I'll say, you know, He'll, he'll have a couple quiet moments where he'll take some deep breaths and I'll say, are you ready to talk? And he'll say, no. And he'll start screaming again and it'll start back up. And I just wait and I'm just patient and I listen and I just breathe through it. And it's like, I'm his rock in the storm. I have to be stoic and strong and rooted so that he can be the thunderstorm that he needs to be but we're sitting there holding hands and he has that connection. And when he's done, I'm still there holding his hands. I haven't left. I'll say, and I'll say to him, I'm not going to leave you. And he'll say, get away from me. Get away from me. I I don't want you anywhere near me. Get away from me. And I'll just, and, but the thing is he never pulls his hands away, you know, and I'll just hold his hands and I'll say, you know, mommies don't leave their children. Mommies don't leave. I'm not going anywhere. You can be mad. I'm still here. And sometimes, yes, repeat that one more time. Get away. What what is he says? Get away from me. Get away from me. Get away from me. Get away from me. And I say, mommies don't leave their children. And I just hold his hands and I just let him breathe. And he eventually gets through it. He eventually gets through it. And then I'll say, do you want to be alone now? And he'll calmly say, yeah, I want to be alone now. And he'll go to his cozy corner. And I think that's, it's that difference between I'm not going, I might, I, I, you can have your space. You can have your independence. You can have your safe space. You can go to residential therapy. You can work on yourself. You can heal yourself. You can have those moments, but when you're in crisis, I'm still your rock and I'm still here for you. And whether that's physically here for you or emotionally here for you, 
it's that it's that sense that you're not going to be abandoned. You're not going to be left. You're always going to have me. I'm always, even if it has, even if I'm doing something you don't like, like you're telling me to get away and I'm saying, no, I'm going to sit right here. And right in that moment, he hates me for it. But when he comes out of it, he knows that I was there for him. I was supporting him. I was there allowing him to feel his feelings, as we say. And he knows that I was still there through the whole thing. You have to almost start like as if he was an infant. Yeah. That's where where the healing is. And so if you can get any of those moments of just you coddling him and, and just nurturing, like just, you know what I mean? Just, I feel like, sorry, my spirit guides are telling me, you just have to go back to that infancy mode. Yeah. I don't know how that's going to look. If you have any type of healers in your community, I would definitely reach out most. I'm telling you, there are so many modalities that can benefit from just throwing a pill at a kid. I'm just, I, yeah, I, I'm, yeah. as a Reiki practitioner, my son's like, mom, can you do some Reiki on me? You I know? love that. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Cause he knows there, there are all these tools. There's, I mean, medication yeah. is one tool in a huge toolbox. And, and like we were saying earlier, bring it full circle. I don't think parents know all the tools that are available to us. And when you're in crisis with a child, you don't have the capacity to go and find all the tools. And so you default to whatever you have ready at your fingertips, or at least I know that's what I do. And I search and I search online, but I know that's not enough. There's not enough information out there. There's not enough education out there. There's not enough people like you who are willing to talk about this aspect of parenthood. Uh, and we don't have that, that village. You know, we talk about the phrase, it takes a village to raise a child. We are raising children without a village. And so I hope that's what I can do with this podcast is I can, I can put information out there. I can help people find tools and I can most importantly help parents, help mothers find community with other people who are going through the same thing, because that's, I think how we find healing. I think that's how we find support knowing that we're not going through it alone and knowing that there are other options out there. And so, you know, I want to, I want people to know how to get in touch with you too. So um, I'm going to put your um, community. She is you. I'm going to put that in the show notes. Can you also tell me about your book? Can we put that in the show notes yeah, as well? I'm so, holy cow, I'm so excited. May 30th, my memoir is going to be published. My story was picked up a few years ago and it's called Pieces of Me. Congratulations. I'm a domestic violence childhood trauma survivor. And I am proof, living proof that we can change the story because I was supposed to be the screw up, the one that goes nowhere, the one that just, and I rebuilt myself and it takes a lot of hard work. Yeah. A lot of sacrifice, a lot of blind faith, a lot of faith in God. I'm telling you, I'll be possible without him. Um, and just push and you broke that cycle for your child, which is so, I mean, it's just so amazing. And I feel like I have to sit with that for a minute because you broke it for yourself, but do you feel like you would have done that and gone through this and gone through this healing if you hadn't had him? Do you think you would have 
Do you think the catalyst would have been there? No, this was all God's plan. Wow. I, I, I truly yeah. believe it. Yeah. Cause he sent him away and now he's like, okay, sister, time to unpack. Time to fix it. Yeah. And we both had, and we're, and he, I'm going to tell you what, they're going to come home and they're going to be much more emotionally smarter than you. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. And I remember, you know, my one therapist is like, uh, yeah, he came home and we're doing something. He's like, you're antagonizing Tim right now. I'm like, what? ouch. He's like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait yeah. a minute. Now like, you're, you're my therapist. Yes. He's like, I'm telling you know, mom, you're antagonizing your husband. I said, no, I'm not. I'm just telling him take the garbage out now. <laughs> but your son knew he knew I know. that's amazing. I oh, love so they that. Come smart. Yes. And I love that. He had a teacher, you know, they're doing his IEP and this past year. And he, you know, she said, I'll come get you. You know, part of these kids, they're very rigid and they're, they're very structured. Mm-hmm. It's black and white. And so she said, social worker said, I'll be at, in the room at 10 o'clock to pull you out. We're going to do this. It is now two o'clock. She never showed up. Evan's doing his homework. She showed up and she goes, come on, let's go. I knew exactly what she was doing. I had to check her on it, but he goes, I'm doing my homework right now. I, you were supposed to be here at 10. It's now two. And he goes, well, I didn't have time. And he, he, she goes, so come on, let's go. And he goes, I'm in the middle of doing my homework. She goes, I don't care. And he goes, well, now you're antagonizing me. Wow. Good for him. Yeah. And then, yeah. So I said, good for you. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Oh my God. I love that. Um, So before we end, do you have any final words of wisdom speaking to other parents who are going through the same thing and maybe who are in the space I am where their children are young and they are afraid of the road ahead. Anything you can tell me, tell my listeners who are just beginning to embark upon this very long journey. I think you need to have patience and get your toolbox together and don't be afraid to explore other modalities. Uh, As I'm telling you, they're trying to tell you something. It's a story that they're trying to tell you and, and just love them. Just love them. They all just, just love them. Yeah. What a lovely sentiment to end on. Thank you so much for being with me today, Felicity. Yes. This has been such a wonderful conversation. Maybe we can talk again soon once your book comes out, because I can't wait to read it. And I would love to speak with you about it further after I do. I would, yeah, I would, I would love it. Yeah. Yeah. There's lots to talk about for sure. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Take care. That's all for today, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to follow or subscribe and check out today's show notes for free downloadable resources and a link to join your village, our Facebook community. Catch you next time.